0: Strained attempts to tap into the zeitgeist has been the ruin of many a great web series. When you go from writing about what you feel like to chasing after what's trending, that sort of prefaces a dip in quality. Conversely, anyone who presents something to an audience is looking to entertain them in some capacity, and one should be mindful of what people like if you are going to put yourself out there and expect total strangers to listen to what you say, like what I'm doing right now. So that precludes this episode in which i've been thinking about doing more episodes on movies that people have actually seen and like and have opinions about because one of the paradoxical aspects of film criticism is that a lot of people who read reviews aren't really diving in to see if the film is good or something they just want to see if the critic likes the same stuff that they like or you know, they want to laugh while the critic tears a new one to this film that they hate, or even a film that they like, but they kind of have sort of a sadomasochistic thing, and they want you to punish the thing they like, because that's naughty. So with that in mind, and knowing that whenever I do some obscure silent film that nobody's ever seen, my co-host for this episode, my sister Cheryl, asked me about doing the Karate Kid, which has a popular Netflix spin-off and is therefore trending quotations. And yeah, sure, I like our Karate Kid. Why not? And <laughs> also this film has a lot going on. So yeah, sure, let's let's do Karate Kid. The Karate Kid episode. My name is Ryan. This is Real Deep Dive. And joining me for this one, as I mentioned before, is my sister Cheryl. Welcome back to the program.
1: Thank you, Ryan it's Cheryl, working.
0: <laughs> Cheryl's afraid their voice isn't picking up which isn't entirely inaccurate but yeah let's let's see how this one goes so why'd you pick Karate Kid for this one
1: the only time I've ever seen the Karate Kid was edited on tv and my husband and I have been watching the show so I was like oh I wonder if um all of those edits for a time affected the plot at all it did
0: to be honest, I didn't see The Karate Kid t- for the first time until a couple of weeks ago where I watched it with Becky. Initially, I thought I was going to do it with Becky, but Becky is self-conscious about the way her voice records, so she didn't want to do any episodes of the show in the near future, so not that you know anything about that.
1: I didn't just say I sound like it's an off-brand Shabet or anything.
0: <laughs> Subject of this film is the 17-year-old Daniel Russo and his mother Lucille, who have moved from Newark, New Jersey, to Roseda, no- Los Angeles, in California. The handyman at their new apartment building is an eccentric, kind, and humble Okinawan immigrant named Mr. Miyagi. Daniel soon befriends Allie Mills, a high school cheerleader, something that enrages her arrogant ex-boyfriend Johnny Lawrence. Black belt and top student at the Cobra Kai Dojo, who demonstrates this at a beachfront fist fight where he smashes Allie's radio, and apparently lies about it on the Cobra Kai show. I haven't seen a single episode of the show yet.
1: It's true. He absolutely does. He blames his friend who died from cancer.
0: And like really clearly extreme close up of his moped motorcycle thing, just just running right over that radio.
1: Yeah, there's no disputing it. But also, too, I mean, who can say that they didn't go to a beach with a bunch of friends with no adult supervision and it didn't end with a fistfight? So, like, this is just childhood right here.
0: Lawrence, alongside his Cobra Kai peers, continually beat and harass Daniel. On Halloween, at the school dance, Daniel uh, humiliates Johnny with a water hose prank while he is in the bathroom rolling a joint. Charles wanted me to emphasize that he is rolling a dube there.
1: It's- the 80s it's not like it was super easy for him to get that and like i mean come on that's not okay
0: you think that's the principal reason why he's mad it's not even a, a humiliation thing he's not embarrassed and just to save face by beating the shit out of daniel he ruined his weed
1: he did i mean he was alone in the bathroom And, like, he's wearing all black, so nobody's going to notice if his clinging leotard is a little bit damp. It's entirely because the joint is gone.
0: Film theory number one. (laughs) (laughs) Subject for debate. There are a couple of other ones we'll get to. But Johnny and his gang chase Daniel to his home and savagely pound him until Mr. Miyagi intervenes, quickly dispatching them with his mastery of karate. Astonished at Miyagi's prowess, Danny begs him to tutor him in martial arts. Miyagi declines but accompanies Daniel to the Cobra Kai studio to resolve the conflict between Daniel and the other kids.
1: I just want to point out that there's a reason he's so astonished. Mr. Miyagi is super tiny and looks a little bit doughy. And those five dudes were like all solid muscle.
0: It's almost as if the actor playing Mr. Miyagi is a stand-up comedian with no martial arts ability.
1: Yay! (laughs) Like I'd be astonished too. (laughs)
0: They encounter the Cobra Kai proprietor, uh, John Kreese, an ex-Special Forces Vietnam vet who is callously dismissive of Miyagi's concerns. This causes Miyagi to suggest that Daniel enters the All-Valley Karate Championship in roughly two weeks, a place where he can settle his differences with Johnny on equal terms. He adds that Cobra Kai's bullying of Daniel should cease while he trains for the event. Kreese agrees, but adds that the harassment will resume with added ferocity for Daniel and Miyagi both if Daniel fails the show at the tournament.
1: Open season! But they also use dead meat all the time. I love yeah. it. I love those terms.
0: I mean, we're going to keep getting back to this, but this grown-ass man is really invested in these teenager problems. <laughs> Okay, with only a few weeks to learn martial arts, Daniel is frustrated when his training includes nothing but menial chores such as waxing Miyagi's antique car collection or painting his fence. And as Jacinta, yeah, your roommate, pointed out while you're watching this film, it is not uncommon in martial arts training to have disciples perform menial tasks in order to teach them, you know, discipline and patience. Plus, you know, free manual labor. While this does make sense within the context of the film's universe, I am not willing to rule out the fact that Miyagi is like, eh, I could use someone standing my fence.
1: Also, he's teaching him karate for free.
0: You did bring that up, and yes, that is fair. Daniel's confidence in Miyagi is bolstered when it's revealed that these chores have taught him to learn defensive blocks through muscle memory. Meanwhile, Daniel's relationship with Allie has blossomed into something of a romance. He even takes her out on a fun little date to golf and stuff.
1: Yeah, she's got her new boyfriend, brown-haired Johnny.
0: Yeah, Allie broke up with Johnny because his violent mood swings and explosive temper bothered her and caused a rift between them, but Daniel's not that much better like he tries out for the soccer team and it lasts all of 30 seconds because some guy trips him and then he just loses it on him and now he's like he's an asshole but I just need to work harder.
1: I mean, she's got a line, and she gets there eventually. I'm not going to spoil it. We'll get there. We'll get there.
0: Yeah, I, I asked you if they're married on the Cobra Kai show, and you were like, no, and I was like, good. Because while I have met people who married the high school sweethearts, let's be realistic, that's not what happens with most people.
1: It happened with me.
0: Yeah.
1: Oh she <laughs> still won't go on a show with me. You hear that? No.
0: This relationship is jeopardized by Daniel's self-conscious insecurity regarding Allie's car coming from money. There's this long sequence where he's, you know, picking up Allie for the date, and his mom is chaperoning. She's taking it in her car, and they have a hard time getting it started because there's an issue with the clutch. They have to roll it down the hill, and that makes him feel wonky because Allie's parents live in this giant home, and their car can barely start.
1: And they're like, "Wait, you you live not in the valley?"
0: Yeah, they're not cool with him living in Rosita. This is an 80s movie that is supposed to be aspirational and feel-good, so the kid from the wrong side of the tracks is something to work against. See also every other movie that came out in 1984. <laughs> your electric boogaloo is your 16 candles. You, 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 you know where we're coming from if you've seen any of those. Allie is also upset at the personal vendetta that Daniel has against Johnny, because, you know... Even though that she is dating brown haired Johnny, <laughs> there's still a part of her that thinks maybe this Daniel kid is a little bit different and he's willing to let this stupid teenager bullshit go.
1: Well, yeah, because guess he, when he showed up at the beach to defend her sand filled ruined boom box, it seems somewhat honorable and she's like, oh, this Johnny is different. And then he was like, no, no, wait, I can <laughs> prove to you multiple times that I am in fact not above this.
0: As Daniel continues to train, his bond with Miyagi deepens. You know, they they get to hang out on the fishing boat and you know, this there's, <laughs> there's punching exercises. And that brings us to the scene. Uh shortly after Daniel's supposed to pick up Allie for a date, but he sees her out of context dancing with Johnny and ends up getting spaghetti spilled on him and that room full of adults at the country club all laugh at him.
1: <laughs> He's poor. You know,
0: no. he, oh, that filthy poor. <laughs> Yeah, after he gets home from that he he, he walks in on a drunken Miyage who is celebrating scare quotes the anniversary of his wife's death and throughout the course of it where he makes johnny take a sip of some nasty nasty yellow liquor that makes him cough as soon as is possible because he's you know a high school student he reveals that his wife and son died at the manzanar internment camp while he was serving with the 442nd infantry uh, regiment during world war ii in europe where he received the medal of honor through miyagi's teaching daniel learns not only karate but also the importance of personal balance, humility, and patience. He applies this growth to his relationship with Allie, eventually apologizing to her at the golf and stuff.
1: Nope.
0: Yeah, he doesn't actually say I'm sorry, he just admits that he's a jerk, and two of Allie's friends to sort of have to spoon-feed it to him before he figures it out. Yep. Thank
1: Um, you. (laughs) Early stages of emotionally abusive relationship. There's no apology.
0: (laughs) At this point, he sort of realizes that beating Johnny is less important than competing with honor and personal discipline. On Daniel's 18th birthday, Miyagi presents Daniel with a homemade gi, which actor Pat Marina actually designed the Bonsai Sun himself, which I thought was a sweet little factoid. Yeah. And he gives him the keys to one of his vintage cars, which uh, the producer gave to uh, Ralph Macchio for real. And he still has that car because that car is fucking cool.
1: It is cherry.
0: Also, that is an incredibly generous gift, considering that Miyagi has known him, like, at best for, like, two months.
1: Yeah. Uh, it's adding some, uh, some fire to my theory. <laughs>
0: Yeah, we'll get to that. (laughs) At the tournament, Daniel surprises everyone by advancing to the semifinals, weirdly invested in this children's karate tournament although cheryl has assured me that cobra kai expands upon this and gives him a reason to be crease instructs bobby brown one of the less vicious students at cobra kai during the whole skeleton costume halloween dance bobby brown is the one who's telling johnny that that daniel's had enough
1: maybe don't give this kid a concussion in front of the school where there are witnesses
0: Crease instructs Bobby to disable Daniel with an illegal knee attack. Bobby is reluctant, but gives in to his mentor's pressure and injures Daniel, getting himself disqualified in the process.
1: No bad students, only bad teachers.
0: That's just what Miyagi says. And also, the whole Bobby isn't that bad is a little less true because later on in the movie, Bobby's just like, Yeah, kill him, Johnny. It's okay. You do that ethically dubious leg sweep. Daniel is taken to the locker room where a physician determines that he can't continue. Allie and... Miyagi and, well, Daniel's mom reassured Daniel that he competed with dignity, but Daniel is convinced that his tormentors will have gotten the better of him if he quits. He convinces Miyagi to use a pain suppression technique that only exists in kung fu movies to allow him to continue. Daniel returns to the uh, tournament just before Johnny is to be declared winner by default. Now, the match initially begins with Daniel getting the upper hand. He gets a couple of points ahead and fell johnny with a scissor leg move this moves crease to direct johnny to sweep daniel's injured leg which is an unethical move johnny is displeased with the suggestion he looks a bit horrified actually but he goes along with it because is his daddy figure and crease has a lot of sway on these children as the match resumes with a tied score of 2-2, Johnny seizes Danny's leg and deals a vicious elbow. Rising from the attack with difficulty, Daniel assumes the crane stance he struggled to perfect during that training montage I mentioned earlier. Luring Johnny within range, Daniel scores the winning point with a dramatic kick to his head. This The film ends very quickly afterwards. There is no denouement in the Karate Kid as soon as he wins. It's just... Johnny presents Daniel with the trophy. He is immediately cool with it and respects Daniel just, like, straight away. It's
1: nice to to know we're on the same level, brown-haired Johnny.
0: Yeah. And Daniel is carried off by an ecstatic crowd. The final shot.
1: Oh, my God, his wounded leg. They're holding him by his injury.
0: The final shot is uh, Smiling Mr. Miyagi, which ends in very 80s freeze frame. This apparently was a last-minute decision. They wanted to end the film with Daniel being carried off with the crowd, but the director was like, no, Miyagi smiling is the better final shot, and I think that's a smart move on his point.
1: Can you imagine, though, if we just ended the podcast and it ends, the movie ends with Mr. Miyagi smiling and then, boom, end of episode?
0: No, no, we got a lot more to go. <laughs> Alright, the development for this film. The ball got rolling when producer Jerry Weintraub caught wind of a newspaper story about this scrawny kid from the sticks who learned karate in order to defend himself from neighborhood bullies. He thought, hey, that's a good hook to hang a movie on top of. The rest of it was filled out by screenwriter uh, Robert Mark Common or Kamen, I'm, I'm not sure. Every time I have to look up names for uh, to pronounce, I I focus a lot of energy on certain ones, and then another one slips through my finger, and I feel like an asshole whenever I get it wrong. But uh, at the age of 17, Kamen began studying martial arts after being beaten by a gang of bullies. Kamen disliked his first teacher, who taught karate as a method for violence and revenge. Uh, he ultimately embraced the Okinawan uh, Goju Ryu style under a tutor who was a student of uh, Shojun Miyagi, who developed that particular style, which emphasized, as the film does, personal discipline and self-defense. Now, this uh, these accounts were merged together. And the producer brought on John G.E. Avildsen to direct, who is best known for directing Rocky, which the Karate Kid has many parallels with, as more than a few people have pointed out. In fact, Sylvester Stallone would often joke with Common, whenever they were in the same room at some Hollywood function, that he totally stole his screenplay for Rocky and stole the director in turn.
1: Oh, shots fired!
0: Apparently, this was always playful.
1: Nerf, shots, fire.
0: (laughs) After settling on the film's title, the filmmakers learned that DC Comics, owned by rival studio Warner Brothers, had already trademarked the Karate Kid. This is a character in the Legion of Superheroes, which I have read some Legion of Superheroes, but that cast is too massive for me, and I'm speaking as me.
1: (laughs) Was he one of those, like, it was the name before it was, like, anything else?
0: Probably most of the Legion of Superheroes' kids probably started out that way. Uh, Yeah, the filmmakers had to get DC's permission to use the name, and they are credited in the film. Let's move on to the casting of this film. A whole lot of people were considered for Daniel before they settled on Ralph Macchio. Amongst them, Sean Penn, Robert Downey Jr. (laughs) Yeah, Sean Penn uh, turned it down because he was sick of playing teenagers. Like he was well into his 20s at this point. I
1: can't even picture Sean Penn as a
0: teenager. You've never seen Fast Times at Richmond High? I
1: have not. Oh,
0: it's a super fun movie. We should do that at some point.
1: In my mind, he's just always like a 40-year-old man.
0: (laughs) No, no, he was a kid for a while, and he looks like a kid well into his 20s. I can't picture it.
1: I just can't.
0: Alright, other people. Charlie Sheen, Emilio Estevez, yeah. Nicholas Cage, Anthony Edwards, Tom Cruise, Eric Stoltz, and C. Thomas Howell. Kyle Eastwood apparently auditioned for it when he lost the part, and Irie Clint Eastwood, his father, banned Coke products from the sets of his films. Columbia Studios, which, you know, financed and produced. The Karate Kid was owned by Coca-Cola at the time. More on that later. Ralph Macchio was ultimately picked be- based on his performance on The Outsiders, and he... Basically, playing a riff on his character in The Outsiders for Karate Kid. Apparently, the character was initially named Danny Weber until, as Macho put it, he walked on set and then immediately you're like, oh, he's a little Russo. Uh, Ralph Machio was 22 at the time of the filming, which nobody who was watching the film with us believed.
1: Not even a little bit. He's such a baby face.
0: Apparently, Machio on set insisted that he was 22 years old and none of his co stars believed him. <laughs> for the part of Mr. Miyagi. Initially, Toshiro Mifune was considered for the part, and that would have been very interesting and also likely a very different film. Mufune was ultimately not picked, uh, largely because he didn't speak English, even though he had done a number of Hollywood films at this point, and the filmmakers felt that he was too intense. If you've seen any of Akira Kurosawa's films, you know the Mufune archetype, Yojimbo, The Hidden Fortress, Rashomon, Seven Samurai. He's very stern, he's very forceful, he's very laconic, and the producers wanted Miyagi to have a certain warmth to him.
1: Which he definitely does. He's very much a father figure, Ryan.
0: We're getting to that. All right. <laughs> Pat Morita was initially rejected for the role of Miyagi. Uh, the filmmakers were wary of his background in stand-up comedy. And also, up until The Karate Kid, his most well-known part was on Happy Days, which is you know a light-hearted 1950s throwback sitcom
1: they wanted him to be more light-hearted.
0: Uh, apparently, they didn't come to that until after Mifune auditioned. Marita, probably hurting for roles for middle-aged Japanese men, grew a beard, and he affected a thick Japanese accent modeled after his uncle. Marita speaks conversational English with an American accent, so he had to wiggle a bit. Marita got nominated for both a Golden Globe and an Oscar for his performance in this, and I think almost all of it is for that scene where he is drunkenly talking about the death of his wife and child, which some producers wanted to cut, but the director fought to keep it in there, and I kind of don't get why. To you don't
1: think it adds to the movie?
0: Oh no, I think it adds I don't know, I don't know why they cut it.
1: Oh yeah, no, absolutely.
0: Yeah, I don't know if it adds directly to the central plot of the film, but it does expand on Miyagi's character and also give some reason for why he's filling this hole in his life with Daniel and he's invested so much energy into him after barely meeting the kid.
1: And like, yeah, because he he never even got to see his son. He was away at of war.
0: This film is, for the most part, a lighthearted, crowd-pleasing romp. But uh, yeah, that part in, injects the film with very much needed depth.
1: Yeah, you toss in an internment camp and like,
0: dang. Yeah, we'll be talking about that a bit more later. Crispin Glover was initially considered for Johnny, which would have been weird. Uh, William Zabka, uh, was picked ultimately largely because of his size. Uh, they asked Machio what he felt about him. And he said that, uh, that Zabka guy scares the shit out of me. <laughs> And they're like, yeah, that's our guy.
1: (laughs) That's the gauge.
0: William Zabka didn't have any karate experience entering into this film, although he was an experienced wrestler. He did, you know, Olympic style wrestling throughout high school. However, he took a shine to karate while he was working on this film and eventually earned a second degree green belt. Also, one thing I pointed out, you mentioned that they did a good job replicating the red leather jacket for the Cobra Kai TV show, and I pointed out, based on what I dug up from this, that that wasn't a replica.
1: (laughs) Which is, again, hugely impressive, because a leather jacket is really hard to keep around for decades.
0: And yeah, Zabka kept that jacket.
1: (laughs) Decades! That's so so cute. I love it. I wonder if he stole it or if they gave it to him.
0: They gave Ralph Macchio the car. They could at least give Johnny the jacket. Yeah, <laughs> Zabka is, to this day, tied to the series. Cobra Kai is even more entrenched in it. But he's had a long, interesting life afterwards. He won an Oscar. As I, as I mentioned, he, he directs short films when he's not doing his Cobra Kai stuff. Moving on, Demi Moore was initially considered for Allie, which was interesting. Elizabeth Shue was ultimately cast as that character based on a Burger King ad that was apparently super popular. I looked it up on YouTube just out of idle curiosity, and I guess it's pretty great by the standards of fast food restaurant advertisements. I'm not sure how you rank them.
1: I mean, any lasting details stick out in your brain?
0: Not especially, except, hey, that's Elizabeth Shue. Look at how young she looks. Sounds like a really successful ad. Yeah, like Zabka, this is uh, Shu's first screen appearance. She was attending Harvard at the time and needed to take a semester off in order to squeeze in this film. And apparently played a lot of varsity soccer. So the bits where she's just tooling around with the soccer ball with Ralph Macchio. She's probably like, yeah, I'm better at this than you are. (laughs)
1: Let me just slow this down for the cute boy.
0: (laughs) Don't want to bruise his ego. Valerie Harper was initially considered for the part of Lucille, Daniel's mother, which is a very minor bit, but fairly important as it is. Randy Heller was installed at the very last minute, and she left an impression on you. Like, I think the first thing you said is just <laughs> like, if you didn't marry Pete, just like a mouthy New Jersey Jewish woman.
1: Oh, well, it I really
0: think, does it for you.
1: It's the husky voice and like the confidence there. It just Dang.
0: Most of this movie is between Daniel and Miyagi. As I mentioned, almost every scene has Daniel in it, if not every scene. <laughs> I
1: was like, oh, he's not in this one. And then he walked right in the back I'm like, damn
0: it. I don't think anybody's favorite scene in the Karate Kid is like the golf and stuff sequence or the the bits between uh, Daniel and Lucille. But those bits are fleshed out a lot more than they probably needed to to be. When I was looking up synopses of the Karate Kid in order to write my notes, a lot of them don't even bother mentioning uh, Daniel's relationship with Ali, which I think does it a disservice because those are good scenes that add layers to this film, even if it's not the core aspect of the film's appeal.
1: Yeah, it's very much a dirty dancing kind of vibe.
0: And moving on, I have to talk about Martin Cove at least a little bit. He is Crease. Oh, he's
1: he, man looks like a giant teddy bear.
0: To this day, he is apparently randomly stopped on the street by people who are just like, I love to hate you.
1: Oh, but he looks so
0: sweet. He takes it as a compliment. <laughs> The director mentioned the part to him early, and and he thought to himself, yeah, I'm very well suited to this part. I'm going to take this part. I want this part. However, they started jerking him around and dragging it out, and they wouldn't let him audition for a while because other gears were turning. And during that period, Cove had to turn down other parts, and he was just leaving money on the table. He started getting upset, and when they finally called him in to do the audition, he was super pissed off, and he credits his anger during the audition for... Securing the role.
1: <laughs> but, like, I mean, when you see him smile, even though he's supposed to be like this like super nefarious guy, you're like, that looks like a Cabbage Patch kid. <laughs> Aww.
0: Uh, Rumor has it that Chuck Norris was considered for the part of Kreese. Rumor also has it that Norris turned down the role because he didn't like the idea that it painted martial arts instructors in a bad light. Norris was asked about this fairly recently, and he said that he didn't remember being asked to participate in the Karate Kid one way or the other. Although, yes, he does believe that it paints martial arts instructors in a bad light, and he probably would have turned down the part. Okay. (laughs) All right, for the filming of this, uh, this film was shot in order, which is very unusual.
1: Yeah, it's still kind of... It it makes me think, like, I'm waiting for you to be like, it was all one camera, and they never turned it off. (laughs) It was like Speed the Movie, but instead of a bus, it's a camera.
0: Yeah, the first scene is... Daniel and his mom taking off in their crappy car to go to Los Angeles. And I mentioned that those kids are like waving them off. That wasn't planned. Those are some kids who just snuck on set and started bothering like the grips and such. And the director like promised them a minor part in the movie if they just go away and stop bothering people.
1: (laughs) Which is a sweet way to get somebody off the lot if they're a kid.
0: (laughs) I should talk about Pat E. Johnson, the fight choreographer. He's also the referee in the film's climactic fight scenes. He's the mustache guy.
1: The brown mustache guy. There was a blonde mustache
0: guy. Yeah, he's the brown mustache guy who has speaking lines. Uh, This guy was a student of Chuck Norris, and he also performed stunts in Enter the Dragon. Bruce Lee kicked him in the head. Fumio Demura was the stunt double for Pat Morita in this film. This guy is best known for teaching nunchaku techniques to Bruce Lee that he used in Enter the Dragon. During the scenes where the Halloween brawl when Miyagi steps in, the kids in the skeleton costumes complained that Fumio was hitting them too hard. Fumio offered to finish the scene with his own students and they nailed it in one take. Now, I should also mention at this point that that scene where Daniel gets jumped, uh, that last kick to Daniel's head ended up actually connecting with Ralph Macchio and they hurt him real bad. He got a minor concussion out of it. Poor kid. Well, he got a car out of it. <laughs> yeah, Zabka, in order to help his performance with Johnny, came up with a loose internal backstory for this Johnny uh, Lawrence character.
1: Oh, I am so ready.
0: He imagined that Johnny didn't have a father in the picture, that he was abandoned, very young, with a single mother, and therefore latched on to Crease as a substitute father figure, and was therefore willing to do whatever he said, even though there were amoral implications in what was uh, going on.
1: They use this,
0: also, I, I want to mention that during the scene where Johnny sweeps Daniel's leg, the crowd of extras, of which there were over 500, this is a well-attended children's karate tournament, <laughs> they were method actors, I guess, because they kept booing Zabka, even when they weren't filming, which upset Zabka's mother. Oh. <laughs> like, she got up and started lecturing them about how he's actually a very nice boy.
1: Oh, I absolutely <laughs> love this woman. I would do this thing. You don't know him? This is my purse. I
0: don't know you. <laughs> Another cute little bit that I like is the, the various scenes with uh, Miyagi trimming the bonsai trees. They needed so many takes of this that Pat Morita couldn't keep trimming the bonsai trees because it was getting to the point of mutilation, so he's just pantomiming it for the last few takes.
1: Which you can tell because one of those trees is absolutely a stump. (laughs) There's like no branches left on it.
0: And the parts where he was going after the fly with the chopsticks, that fly was suspended on a fishing line, which once you learn that is like painfully obvious.
1: I gave the movie too much credit. I thought that it was painted on like the film.
0: Yeah, despite the fact that there were a bunch of stunt uh, coordinators and most of the people in the karate scenes who actually had martial arts experience were just allowed to improvise their own stunts. There were some mythologized aspects of it, aside from, you know, the I poke you in your collarbone and that makes your arm move bits. Daniel's crane move at the end is fictional, although yes, there are martial arts moves that are known as crane techniques. That one was come up by by a stunt coordinator, just sort of offhand, and it's done more to you know, look cool on camera that they have any kind of practical self-defense attributes to it.
1: Well, yeah, it's super dramatic looking.
0: It is. I should also point out that the 442nd Regimental Combat Team that is mentioned in the film is real. It was largely composed of Japanese Americans, most of whom were recruited from the internment camps that they were forced into. That
1: sounds like
0: us. Uh, Yeah, that sounds like America, especially lately. They became the most highly decorated unit in the history of the United States military while they were fighting in the European theater of the war. 21 Medal of Honor awardees were in this group. This also included 52 Distinguished Service Crosses, 560 Silver Stars, 4,000 Bronze Stars, and 9,486 Purple Hearts. And as I mentioned before, because Columbia was owned by Coca-Cola, the filmmakers were required to include product placement in the film. Machio, being a punk kid of 22, which is still pretty young, although not as young as he's supposed to be, was annoyed by this, which if I was in his shoes, I'd think that was sleazy as well. He fought instructions to have the Minute Maid orange juice container prominently displayed in that breakfast scene where he's trying to hide his black eye from his mom with the aviator shades. There's also a scene where he's supposed to, you know, drink out of a can of Sprite. And for most of it, he is hiding it with his hands and is only revealing the can for as short a period as he can get away with. (laughs) Which, once again, if I was in his shoes in that age, yeah, I'd be inclined to do the same thing.
1: rebel! Rebel! got to pop
0: the collar for that. Yeah. We have to mention the music for this film because it, it's one of the most memorable aspects of it. The score itself was done by Bill Conti, who regularly collaborated with uh, director Avildsen ever since he scored Rocky. So much Rocky in this film. <laughs> the orchestrations were done by Jack Askew with the pan flute solos by George Zamfir, which are very prominent whenever Daniel's trying to do his crane bits. There's also the songs, most notably Joe Esposito's You're the Best.
1: Bring me home. Never, never to bring
0: me down. That's on someone's workout playlist.
1: Just one person.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that song uh, was famously written for Rocky 3. But Sylvester Stallone rejected it in favor of Eye of the Tiger, which, yeah, I I like You're the Best, but Eye of the Tiger is the better Rocky song. I don't blame him for that.
1: I, I, I disagree. I think they are in equal standing. The moment you hear either of them, you just get pumped, and you're like, yeah, I can keep running.
0: You're the Best makes me think of the power ballads that are in the workout montages in Bloodsport, which I covered in a previous episode of this show. Which, you know, once again, is very indicative of the early to mid 80s just being the height of the strip mall dojo era. They just connect this like fake cheesy synthy rock guitars with karate movie training montages. Despite the fact that Survivor beat out Joe Esposito for Rocky, they are also in this film performing the main theme of this film. At least on paper, "You're the Best" is the main theme of the film. Really, Survivor's song is called "Moment of Truth," which you know it's not "Eye of the Tiger," but it's all right. The other notable pop song in this film is <laughs> Banana Rama's "Cruel Summer," that debuted in this film and was a big hit in Europe. Although it left off the soundtrack overall, this was not Banana Rama's biggest hit in the states, but eh, it got their foot in the Door.
1: It's a good song. People know that song.
0: Yeah, yeah, it's got legs. Okay, reception of this film. It was a massive sleeper hit. Its budget was $8 million. It may end up making $90.8 This is a 1984 dollars. I have learned not to trust inflation calculation charts I find online. However, I did discover that 27 million tickets were sold in the United States and Canada alone, which sounds like a lot. It was one of the biggest hits of the year, and clearly this film is remembered now, especially since, you know, it got a whole bunch of sequels, including the Netflix show.
1: There are four of them! I didn't even know that there was more than two.
0: Really? I know there was a third one, and then there was like another one with like it was called The Next Karate Kid.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's four Karate Kid sequels. We're watching them all.
0: Oh boy. (laughs) I mean, I'm doing Fast and the Furious with Sarah. You're making me watch all the goddamn Karate Kids now.
1: Yay! (laughs) You heard it here. He agreed. You can't delete this when you (laughs) (laughs) edit it.
0: Now, the film got largely positive reviews, which I was mildly surprised by. Roger Ebert loved it; he thought it was one of the best films of the year. It was cute. He said it was exciting, sweet-tempered, bolstered by uh, the chemistry between Machio and Morita, so it was very easygoing but believable. And with that out of the way, it is time to talk about themes, including the part that you are most anxious to discuss.
1: My uh, theories, come on.
0: Okay, now. Lucille moves across the country but based on what we can see most of the film is through Daniel's perspective but it seems like Lucille is just like managing a restaurant
1: the Orient Express
0: yeah and you like you moved on the other side of the country for that there aren't any restaurants that are hiring managers in New Jersey. It made us think that there must be some other reason she went out there. Now, mine is that she's fleeing from an abusive relationship, kind of like an Alice doesn't live here anymore situation. But your idea is that she moved to Los Angeles to be with a new lover, which you contend is Mr. Miyagi.
1: He treats her like a queen!
0: And yes, he also seems to be very paternal towards Daniel.
1: He gives him a car! And he makes his gi from the patch that his dead wife made.
0: Yeah, that is a lot to lay on a kid that you just met.
1: Yeah, clearly they have been writing back and forth to each other for a while. This was a planned thing. She even asked him how he would feel about moving out there. And he's like why do you even ask me if my opinion didn't matter? It's like you're a child. Your opinion doesn't matter. <laughs> Cuz she was she was testing the waters to see if he would be interested in getting, you know,
0: well, it's just, just to point it out, this is a pre-internet era. How did they meet? And I was like, well, Miyagi does have a collection of antique cars. So maybe he was doing like some kind of touring auto show thing and he bumped into her there. I don't know.
1: Love, Ryan. It's very unlikely and it happens in the strangest of places.
0: Okay, moving on. I do think a core theme of this film is accepting one's limitations. A whole lot of this is just sort of dealing with the fact that you can't win them all. Getting back to, say, Rocky, I'm paraphrasing, but one of the patches of dialogue that always sticks with me in that is the idea is that no matter how big and strong and fast and cool you are, the world will always be bigger than you and will always grind you down. And you just have to put that in perspective and just find contentment in snatching a few little victories while you can which is sort of reflected in the karate kid although far more optimistically i read a bit where uh, screenwriter dennis palumbo was approached with fleshing out the karate kid's uh, screenplay and said that he would only do it if daniel lost the tournament in the end Oh Yeah, he believed that the movie doesn't make sense if you tell him for 90 minutes that it doesn't matter if you win or lose as long as you perform with dignity and then just have him win at the end. And Palumbo said that clearly based on the film's success that he was very wrong about this. (laughs) At the same time, Rocky loses at the end of Rocky. Yeah, Yeah, he just loses with dignity. He earns Apollo Creed's respect, but that's not good enough if you're the 16 year old, I guess.
1: I mean, unpopular opinion, but I like the Karate Kid more than I like Rocky. Don't tell my husband.
0: Okay. (laughs) Another thing I want to bring up is fragile male egos uh, that are quickly bruised and antagonistic, even when it comes to stuff that doesn't really matter.
1: Which leans into my theory, cocaine.
0: Uh, Once again, I haven't seen a single episode of Cobra Kai, but this is something that is fleshed out even more. I have heard that most of Cobra Kai is Daniel and Johnny, who are clearly middle-aged men with other aspects of their lives, but they can't fucking get over the karate tournament that they fought in when they were 16, even though both of their wives would love them to.
1: (laughs) It's pretty great.
0: And yeah, the final thing that I wanted to touch upon, the heavier theme, is Japanese internment. Which, the Karate Kid, I'm assuming, for a lot of people, is the first time they even heard about this. Because for much of the 20th century, grabbing every Japanese American and shoving them in the concentration camps is something that America swept under the rug. or our classrooms taught American exceptionalism, we were a bit reluctant to delve into things where we have stumbled.
1: Uh, quantum Leap. That was the first time I ever was exposed to it It was Quantum Leap.
0: Yeah, sort of coming up more and more often in the 1980s, which I don't think is a coincidence, because as I mentioned in certain other episodes, the western started dying down at the same time where Manifest Destiny was discussed in history class. Not as much as a glorious expansion to the sea in order to solidify our American empire, but a trail of genocide, with which you know it was that too, or that only, depending on one's perspective.
1: My history teachers definitely had fun with that because whenever they brought it up, they would just take things from us. Manifest destiny, my desk.
0: It took a while. There wasn't an official apology or reparations for Japanese Americans affected by internment or concentration camps. I think concentration camp is a more accurate term for that sort of thing. Until four years after this movie came out, like 1988.
1: People lost their in houses.
0: Uh, people lost their houses, their livelihoods, their family me- Yeah, family members, a lot of it they didn't get back, people died there. Yeah,
1: there were legal issues with white people that had moved into those houses that were like, no, but it's my house now.
0: Yeah, you know, not only that, but after they were interned, they approached a whole bunch of them and it's like, hey, go to Europe and fight the Nazis for freedom.
1: Ah, ah. But that would never happen in this country again. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and we were talking about watching this film, Miyagi plays into certain stereotypes, and whenever a Japanese man in the United States is older than 35, there's some drunk idiot who yells Miyagi stuff at him, and certain aspects of Marita's performance are a bit stereotypical, but I do give it props for having the balls to comment upon, upon that sort of thing when it was still a hot-button issue, and not only that, but just sticking with it, even at the behest of certain people who wanted it to be removed. So if nothing else big ups on that karate kid and also it was relevant to the plot and expanded the characters and added depth and pathos to the story
1: oh yeah like i honestly i do lean into like part of the reason that he's the father figure is he literally lost his son in childbirth
0: and also he's you know banging lucille according to you
1: they're in love he gave her a bonsai tree
0: It was a pretty bonsai tree. Well, okay, that's the extent of my notes. Is there anything about Karate Kid that you'd like to bring up that we haven't yet before we wrap up?
1: Yeah, he had a banging backyard.
0: All right, and with that, (laughs) thanks for listening. Join us for another episode. Hopefully we don't have to do Karate Kid 2 right away because that movie's real bad.
1: Moving on to Karate Kid 4! Uh.